This is a spoiler light podcast. In this episode, I shall be revealing some aspects of the plot. My aim is to tell you enough about the film to intrigue you to watch it, but not enough to ruin it. However, the choice to continue is yours. Welcome to the Retro Podcast Massacre, a virtual video library in which we remember horror films from the VCR era. My name is Val, and I shall be your helpful assistant. Let me escort you to our horror section. Good evening, willing participants. In this episode, I'll be talking about Ghostwatch, a BBC television play that aired in 1992, and then never ever again. The reaction to this play was so strong, so vociferous, so brutal, that this play would never be repeated on British television. It was hidden away, castigated, banned, buried. The tabloid newspapers screamed with outrage when it was first shown. The next day their headlines read, Viewers blast BBC's sick ghost hoax. Parkinson's fear for liberty. This TV program killed our son. And that last headline was no exaggeration. One viewer of this play was so disturbed by it that he committed suicide. Two other boys had to be temporarily institutionalised. The police were inundated with calls from panicked viewers who were terrified that... Just by watching this show, they had allowed something evil into their house. What the actual fuck, BBC? Aren't you supposed to be all about dancing celebrities and cake programs? Tonight, I'm going to discuss Ghostwatch. Hopefully, you are made of sterner stuff than those long-ago TV viewers. Shall we find out? The reputation of Ghostwatch has been growing and growing in recent years. It is interesting to me because it is now nearly 30 years old, and it seemed like such a uniquely UK phenomenon at the time. But now I find that my North American friends pass it around like a secret. If you like Blair Witch, they whisper to their horror-loving friends, you will love Ghostwatch. I find this odd, because it is very specifically aimed at the British and especially at those middle-aged British people who were actually fucking watching this thing when it first aired. Could someone please hold my warm beer? Thank you. If, like me, you are an old bastard, you will remember the furore that followed the broadcast of Ghostwatch on Halloween in 1992. Looking back on it now, what leaps out is how tame it is. Truth be told, while the film has moments of real power, for the most part, it is not that scary. But the notable thing about Ghostwatch is how ahead of its time it was, and how prophetic it was to be. For you see, Ghostwatch is one of the earliest, definitely most effective, of what would now be termed found footage films. The central conceit of Ghostwatch is that it is a live TV show, in which a BBC television team will be broadcasting from inside a real haunted house on Halloween. The original film was broadcast on a Saturday night, and it has all the trappings of a vaguely crappy live BBC show at the time. You may remember the sort of thing. 
It has the look and feel of one of those stunt shows in which an outside broadcast unit squashes someone's car with a tank and then a presenter in a false beard tells him, <laughs> it was all just for laughs. Such shows have now been replaced by singing and dancing competitions, but trust me on this, back in the 90s we loved those live prank shows. At first glance, Ghostwatch comes across like another one of those programs, a cheap, cheerful and cheesy show in which members of the public can call in with their tales of the paranormal while the cheery presenters wander around a haunted house in the hope that something spooky or weird will occur. And it is here that I have to mention their real stroke of genius. The cast of Ghostwatch are made up of real BBC television celebrities of that era. We Brits were used to these people. They were like our friends. We trusted them. That would prove to be a mistake. Ghostwatch is introduced by Michael Parkinson, who is best known in the UK for presenting a late-night chat show from the 1970s right through to the 2000s. With his down-to-earth northern English manner and his soft Yorkshire accent, he'd become one of those people we just believed. It is a stroke of genius that they cast Parky, as he is affectionately known, as the slightly sceptical presenter. Meanwhile, Sarah Green started her career presenting children's TV shows before moving on to daytime magazine shows, in which she would ask inane questions of soap stars and TV chefs. In this film, she plays the part of the reporter, puttering around on the inside of the spook house, wearing an outrageously huge 1990s green scrunchie. Green's real-life husband was Mike Smithy Smith, and that's the part he plays in Ghostwatch too. Smithy mans the Ghostwatch phones and passes the best ones to Parky in the studio. Mike Smith was an ex-DJ who, by the 1990s, was mainly known for presenting Top of the Pops. Now, I must be honest here. The thing about Mike Smith and Sarah Green was this. I fucking hated them. They were so bland and tepid and nice and inoffensive. And in the early 90s, you couldn't get away from these vanilla fuckers. The BBC put them in everything, and they were always so nice and friendly, and yet also earnest and informative. And don't you just hate that? Putting them on this show is brilliant. And so, non-elderly UK people, if you watch this show and find them a bit wooden, then good, because that is what they were like. All the time. I honestly found Sarah and Mike two of the most convincing actors in this film. I am being very serious and not at all snarky about this. Rounding out the Ghostwatch team was Craig Charles, and if you are a sci-fi nerd, you may recognise him from the cult comedy show Red Dwarf, in which he played the lovable space slob Dave Lister. In Ghostwatch, he's a loose cannon, getting up to pranks, mugging for the camera, and generally being a bit of a pain in the dick end. Which is again, perfect. This is what Craig Charles, who is actually a genuinely talented man and a former street poet, often found himself doing on crappy dinnertime entertainment shows of the 1990s. He'd be the man on the street accosting British grannies for their views on things, or ad-libbing the commentary for imported Japanese game shows. What I'm trying to say is that this cast fits right into the sort of show that Ghostwatch purports to be. And even if they are just playing a version of their regular TV selves on this, all four do it to perfection. Craig Charles' on-air pranks aren't that funny. Sarah Green is patronising. Mike Smith is bland. 
Michael Parkinson is patriarchal. And when Craig Charles jokes that he was trying to get Sarah to say a four-letter word on air, I wanted to cheer, because it feels so authentic. Really, BBC, that sound you hear? That's 1990s me applauding you. But it is not all good news. If you do watch this film, you will undoubtedly find that parts of the fake TV show are horribly unconvincing. You must bear in mind that between 1992 and now, found footage has become a big thing, and in watching Ghostwatch, you'll perhaps develop a new appreciation for what good found footage looks like compared to this. The principal thing that glares out and renders Ghostwatch a little fake is some of the acting and direction. The mother of the haunted family is far too polished in delivering her key lines and in planting all of the plot threads. There's no stilted, incorrect or incomprehensible dialogue here. And while that might sound like a good thing, it really isn't. I don't know about you willing participants, but unless I am fully scripted, I sound like an absolute bell-end. We need people to misspeak to realise that they are in the moment. Ghostwatch has none of that, and the omission is glaring. I felt a similar way about the in-studio expert as well. She is the quintessential New Age parapsychologist, full of worried smiles and hints of things that we don't yet understand. Worse, the back-and-forth debate between herself and Parky are horribly anticipated by the camera. How does the camera know to cut to the expert just as she delivers her spontaneous line? It's only a little thing I know, but it pulled me out of the moment and kept reminding me that I was watching a play every time it happened. But in other ways the direction is pretty good, and the build-up slow and subtle. We follow the technicians with their huge cameras and clunky sound equipment as they trail through a house bestrewn with electrical cables. Sarah Green steals the occasional glance over her shoulder at the cameras, just as she would if she was delighting a pensioner with a surprise visit, or was on her way to interview an ex-Beatle. During this time, Sarah speaks to the children. The two girls seem fairly chipper. Excited at the attention they're getting, they reveal that they have named the presence in their home Pipes. This is on account of the fact that the loud noises the spirit makes were first put down to problems with the plumbing. Sarah and the mum put the girls to bed, and as the lights go out, maybe there's something right there, stood at the foot of the bed. Is that you, Pipes? The entirely fictional Ghostwatch switchboard goes mad with people claiming to have seen something that looks like a man in the shadows. Parky breezily brushes them off with a patronising chuckle. Meanwhile, Craig Charles gets to play up to his knob-for-hire reputation. He interviews neighbours and is told of missing children and of mutilated dogs. He brushes aside all such talk with breezy responses. That all sounds a bit weird, eh? What's it like living in England's answer to Amityville? It was all of this which convinced 23-year-old me, back in 1992, that this thing was for real. I mean, I can tell you now, with hindsight, that parts of it look fake. But you must bear in mind that you don't really watch TV shows like this. They don't have your full attention. For example, on that Halloween night in 1992, I was only half paying this thing any attention. I was assuming it was just some boring shit in which a psychic would enter a room and say something bloody obvious like, I'm sensing something bad happened in this room. But the writer does a good job of slow escalation, and so I really sat up and took notice when the expert plays back a recording featuring the muffled voice of a malevolent spirit. Sadly, back in 1992, this was when I checked the TV listings magazine to find out what the heck this thing was, and I realised that it was just a TV film. 
damn you 1990s me, you ruined the surprise. Although, to be fair, it did make me pay more attention and to turn up the volume. Unfortunately for the BBC, not all of the audience was 23 years old and had the listings magazine to hand. Stories abound of traumatised children being shooed off to bed just as things were getting seriously scary. Here's the thing, being shooed off to bed only makes it worse. If the kiddies had stayed up for the slam-bang finale, they might well have realised that this was all a prank. As it was, those overprotective parents were shoving their children into their darkened bedrooms right at the point where all of the terrifying events still seemed credible. As a result, there is an entire generation of British people who saw this film as children and who visibly twitch when you mention Ghostwatch to them to this very day. Now, if you are one of those people, then look out! Pipes is behind you! <laughs> I'm a complete bastard. For those of us who got to stay up late and watch the end, events then ramp up a bit, and the perky banter and the cheeky interviews take a darker turn. A medium talks about a presence in the house so evil it made him feel physically sick, unable to shake the sense that there was blood on his hands. Callers start to report poltergeist activity in their own homes, which has only occurred since the programme started. Clocks all over the country stop. Dogs won't stop barking at TV screens. Scores of viewers call in with matching descriptions of the shadowy figure they've seen in the background. And then there are technical difficulties on the show, which Parky laughs off. Probably a poltergeist. What do you think, Dr. Pasco? But his expression is concerned and his laughter rings hollow. Dr. Pasco begins to wonder if, in broadcasting the show, they've somehow created a super seance involving millions of people and if this has allowed the spirit of Pipes to invade living rooms all over Britain. And that Nigel Neal-esque plot twist is what really makes Ghostwatch something special. Imagine watching something that, in watching it, has allowed the spirit of a dead child molester to leech out of your television and into your living room. Modern technology has been turned from an agent of enlightenment into one of fear and paranoia. That is some scary shit. Full disclosure, the Retro Podcast Massacre is not an evil podcast. In listening to me, you are quite safe. Listening to my bollocks will not cause your bum to seal up or your willy to fall off. I felt this was important to share in case you were starting to worry. As the in-house reporter, it is Sarah Green who has to do most of the heavy lifting acting-wise. I have to admit that, in watching this, I began to understand why the creators of the Blair Witch Project chose to hide certain facts from the actors when they were shooting that film. That led to a lot of very realistic reactions being captured on camera. But, pre-scripted and prepared, you can tell that some of Sarah Green's reactions aren't always completely natural, and that she sometimes seems to anticipate the ghostly events. But I'm being too harsh on her. She wasn't known as an actress, and she actually does a very good job at becoming increasingly rattled as things in the house escalate. Less successful is her husband. I'm afraid Mike Smithy Smith just sounds increasingly petulant and whiny as the show goes on. Craig Charles stays amusingly oblivious, almost to the end of the show. But it is Michael Parkinson whose performance is perhaps the most upsetting. Our trustworthy presenter, the dad of British TV interviewers, seems to lose it altogether as the show nears its conclusion. This is why I think the show must work best for a 1990s British audience. You see, to us, Parky was an institution. Seeing Parky lose it is like seeing the Queen fart or Cliff Richard tell a willy joke. These things just don't happen. 
Following the initial transmission of the film, there was a huge reaction. The BBC switchboard allegedly jammed with around 30,000 calls. Cases of PTSD were reported. A 10-year-old was hospitalised for eight weeks, and an 18-year-old man with learning disabilities hanged himself, convinced that there was a ghost in his water pipes. The reaction of the British tabloid press was quick, predictable, and entirely hypocritical. The British press had, and still has, a long and ignoble history of whipping up fear, so their feigned outrage at a scary TV play, daring to be scary, strikes me as humbuggery of the most sickening kind. I should add, for the edification of willing participants outside the UK, that the vast majority of the British press is owned and operated by a cabal of right-wingers who would prefer the BBC not to even exist, so they were all over this. Manufactured moral outrage was the order of the day. The BBC scuttled to appease politicians and press alike. The TV presenters all moved on and very sensibly kept quiet about it. The BBC buried their play, and it stayed that way for ten years, when the British Film Institute released it onto DVD. During that time, the reputation of Ghostwatch grew even larger. Was it even real? Did you really see what you thought you saw? You couldn't find out, because it would never be shown again. This was the play that was too evil to be aired. It was the show that broke the telly. However, since that BFI DVD release, the popularity of Ghostwatch has spread overseas, and rightly so. This is a television play that, first of all, really worked. I mean, it scared audiences in a way that only a few other pieces of horror fiction have managed. Psycho, The Exorcist, The Silence of the Lambs. It's pretty august company to be in. Having said that, I can't help but feel that Ghostwatch must have a shorter shelf life than those other works. It is a film very much of a specific time and place. It does work best if you know these presenters, and the culture of the time. Which leads me to another extremely distracting detail within Ghostwatch. The frequent use of the term, glory hole. You see, here's the thing. The thing is, there's this area under the stairs, which the family have boarded up, which they call the glory hole. All the time. Right the way through the entire play. And the thing is, I cannot emphasise this enough, they do not mean it in the rude way, so stop that sniggering, you perverts. Honestly, you bloody young people with your internet pornography. Anyway, just to be clear, at no point does a willy come wriggling through any holes, glory or otherwise. And even if it had, I'm sure Sarah Green would very sensibly have hit it with a wooden spatula. My point is this. If you watch the film today, you're probably going to be disappointed by it. I doubt very much if it will cause you that same level of panic that it did in us poor 1990s British people. But you should still watch it. It's an extremely impressive and prescient bit of filmmaking. Divorced from the context of the times, Ghostwatch comes across as just a mildly hammy ghost story. But if you look at it from the point of view of when it was made, and where TV was at that time, it takes on additional layers of meaning. This film was made in 1992, just two years after the first Gulf War. Now, I remember when that war started, there was a debate over whether the Western countries could bear another TV war. That American resolve to win in Vietnam had been undermined by shocking images of brutality, which were sent back by Western journalists and aired on primetime television. But as it turned out, the military and the journalists had sorted themselves out in time for the liberation of Kuwait. What we saw on the TV were nothing but sanitised images. Surgical strikes, they called them, of precision missiles zooming in on non-civilian targets. 
We knew that there were deaths and casualties, of course. They were reported in the news bulletins, but these were just figures, meaningless, like the lottery numbers. The occasional gruesome photograph would be published, but nothing to seriously undo the Allies' ambitions for the region. What I'm saying is that Ghostwatch is a film that followed a war where the narrative was determined before the event, where the footage was part of the strategy, where well-known trusted journalists sent reassuring messages back home to the UK. And this caused the screenwriter and director of Ghostwatch to wonder if the same sort of journalists could be used to deliver an entirely more unsettling message to the public, just to prove how easy it is to shape the narrative. Of course, that sort of thing couldn't happen today. Not in the age of the internet. Why, if it could, what would be to stop corrupt politicians using their friends' TV news networks to spread lies and propaganda? To keep repeating lies even after they've been disproved? until the lie becomes virtual truth. <laughs> of course, that could never happen in civilised countries like the UK and US in 2016. Twice. It is for these reasons that I have to score Ghostwatch just a 3 out of 5 as a horror film. It does have some supremely spooky moments, but you have to remember that it was made for TV, and for an audience now 30 years distant. I suspect horror fans will like it, but they'll probably find it more interesting than frightening. As a film, however, I have to give this a 4 out of 5. It may have some obvious technical flaws, but Ghostwatch anticipated the rise of reality TV by about 5 years. It anticipated the rise of found footage by about 7. And it warned the British public of the dangers of slickly presented lies from a way more innocent time. There aren't many one-off TV plays that can legitimately claim to be part of TV history and an accurate prediction of the future. And now our Saturday evening TV is dominated by Strictly Come Dancing and Britain's Got Talent. That's also kind of terrifying, but not in the good way. Dear willing participants, thank you again for your company tonight and for putting up with my political bullshit more than usual. Join me next time when I'll be talking about the 1987 slasher film, The Stepfather. This film stars Terry O'Quinn as an angry dad who wishes to ground his children six feet under if necessary. Until then, I hope I've encouraged you to seek out the revolutionary but sadly dated TV play Ghostwatch from 1992. But do stay away from the glory hole. Good night. The Retro Podcast Massacre was recorded in Wellington, New Zealand. Your host was Val Thomas. This episode was produced by Katie Miller. If you have any requests, comments, or if you just want to say hi, you can tweet us at Podcast Massacre, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you like this podcast, spread the word. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you source your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and pleasant dreams. (laughs) ¶¶